This program is produced using the resources of Public Media Network in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Learn more at publicmedianet.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Share Prosperity Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Ford, Share Prosperity Kalamazoo Coordinator for the City of Kalamazoo. Episode 22, joined as always by the magnificent Melody Dakin. Hello. Whose title remains the same, and that is Special Projects and, or no, Neighborhood Business and Special Projects Coordinator. See, she had to, had to remember. Still wondering what those special projects are. I don't know. Yeah. It's this, it's this podcast. Yeah. Right there, there you go. Oh. I'm excited. Today we have one of my favorite people. She just found out that she was one of my favorite people. And um, we'll, we'll let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. Alyssa Stewart. I am the Chief Impact Officer for the United Way of South Central Michigan. Chief Impact Officer? Yes. Okay. Because I went on the website. It said VP of Impact and Engagement. Yeah, that's my old title. So as of April 1, we have merged. So formerly United Way of Battle Creek and Kalamazoo Region, which I was the VP for. And now we are the United Way of South Central Michigan covering Kalamazoo, Greater Battle Creek, Jackson County, Eaton, Ingham, and Clinton counties. So Lansing. Yeah. Yeah. So six county footprint now. Yeah. Six Mm -hmm. counties. Wow. Oh. Okay, before we jump in, yeah. do you drink coffee? Yes. Okay. With lots of cream. All right. It's barely coffee, probably, but yes. Okay. Me too. I always wanted to ask because you remind me of like the human equivalent of caffeine. <laughs> it's like you you be talking fast sometimes, and you got energy, and I'm like, man, Jesus got a lot of energy. It seems like even okay. when we went to Texas, uh, Texas, it was like. She just had energy from the time you saw her to like the evening. I'm like, yeah. what is going on? I like to think that. I don't know. I just love what I do. Yeah. I love the people I get to work with. Uh, yeah. If, if nothing else, I hope people can call me enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good descriptor. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely that. So um, eager to jump into the myriad things going on um, at United Way mm-hmm. and how they impact community. So for those uninitiated, in a nutshell, like what's United Way, what's it do, and you know, how does that impact community? Yeah, that's a great question because United Way, especially here locally in Kalamazoo County, is really changing and has changed dramatically over time. So United Way is really a global charity, right? Mm-hmm. So the United Way brand is global. There are United Way offices across the country and even the world, Yeah, uh, but mostly you know, a lot of those locations are in the United States. And so there's a network of United Ways in Michigan, and we are part of, of that network. Um, our United Way is the second largest United Way in the state of Michigan. After the merger? Uh, yeah, it, yeah, actually before and after. So what? we've gotten even bigger um, behind Detroit, um, United Way of Southeastern Michigan. But regardless, United Ways have been around for a long time. So our United Way here um, is around 100 years old. So has a long history of being present in community, of fundraising, and then of distributing those funds to nonprofits doing critical work in our community. But more recently, and I've been with United Way for about nine years now for context, um, it's been changing dramatically. And we've um, really grounded ourselves in serving as a convener 
and systems change partner. So for a hundred years, we've been giving money mm-hmm. to solve problems. And we've realized that money alone will not solve the complex problems that our communities face. Mm-hmm. And Kalamazoo is a great example of that, right? We yeah. have lots of resources, but we're still struggling with some really um, huge disparities. In, yeah, yeah, huge disparities and intense issues. And so we really realized that we had to do more and be more strategic. Um, and so we've started to do things like direct programming. So a couple of years ago, we became the continuum of care for Kalamazoo County. So focusing on the coordination of efforts to end homelessness. Uh, we started doing small business work in partnership with you all at the city um, and have just really tried to be responsive to community need. We've also really stepped into a space around disaster relief funding. So both man-made and natural uh, you know, disasters, mm-hmm. uh, including most recently uh, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. So we were doing disaster relief work for almost two years, uh, distributing millions and millions of dollars um, for critical response to to COVID. And so we've just really tried to be agile and um, and grow and change and evolve to meet community needs. Uh, and part of that for us has been really focusing in on the disparities um, that Mel mentioned. We, for a long time of our 100-year history, were doing work in a, I would say, a um, for lack of a better word, a colorblind way mm-hmm. or sort of a, a universalist way. We're like, we're doing good things, we're helping everyone. And again, I think we've realized some of the limitations of that approach and have really, in the past um, nine years, really started to focus in on addressing disparities because we know that will improve conditions for everyone in our community, ultimately, if we can fix the broken systems that are impacting people negatively. Mm-hmm. So now United Way uh, is still focused on really increasing economic mobility mm-hmm. um, through, again, various uh, methods. And still currently, we're also investing in really core programming around education. So we're funding early childhood work and literacy work, um, work around infant mortality in the health space, and um, and really meeting a lot of basic needs in the community as well. So yeah, that's a very uh, big nutshell, what United Way does. Yeah. We partner with a bunch of other nonprofits to do that work, um, but we're also trying to, to lean more into our own leadership. Um, you know, and the ways we can actually make impact ourselves as an organization as well. It seems like you've been like a really good, like an, knowing what your capacity is and isn't. Because I think like with the city, we know we have all these dollars, how we can get them out. And you have like a really great system for vetting, like getting applications in through yeah. that back end and getting that out in the community, like in an efficient way. I think that's a great point. I think mm-hmm. we've realized that you're right, like the... We have 100 years of history in in grant making and in mm-hmm. disseminating funds. And I think we um, didn't always think of that as like a distinct asset or value add, but we definitely have come to realize that the infrastructure we have to do that like can be utilized in different ways, mm-hmm. right? Not just to do our grant making, but you know, grant making for SPK or mm-hmm. grant making, yeah, small business loans and grants. So uh, I totally agree. That's something that we yeah, we just didn't fully realize. And I think COVID helped illuminate mm-hmm. that for us of like, oh, we don't want our government partners to have to like create complex grant making processes to get ARPA funding out. We could actually help with that and we could do it right. more quickly, more efficiently with a strong equity lens and really have successful outcomes for everyone. Um, and so, yeah, I think our partnerships, especially with the city, have been really a win-win in that way. 
it makes me think a lot about like the foundation for excellence. I'm curious in knowing like if that is a, is that unique to Kalamazoo that you're doing a lot more grant making because the foundation of excellence has, you know, a huge commitment made? Yeah, I would say our partnership overall with city of Kalamazoo is unique. And I'm learning more about, we have really strong partnerships with the city of Lansing, for example, Mm -hmm. um, in our footprint. And we're growing a relationship with the city of Jackson. um, uh, And we partner closely with the city of Battle Creek as well. But I would say the the depth of our relationship with the city of Kalamazoo is is the deepest by far. Just the number of different ways we've collaborated over time. Um, And I think the way we see each other as strategic thought partners is really unique and something that I know we value a lot uh, at United Way. and I think, yeah, the Foundation for Excellence and just, uh, yeah, Kalamazoo is really unique. And the city yeah. of Kalamazoo, how we're structured, again, like just the resources we have and the promise and um, and all those pieces is just really, really unique and creates a really huge responsibility, I think, for all of us to really <laughs> fully capitalize on the potential of all of those things. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Now, <clears throat> you got a new a new title, mm-hmm. but what do you do primarily in your role in terms of the the new things that are happening at United Way and the merger? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as I mentioned, the merger is about four months old. Um, and so my role with being chief impact officer is now sort of now spans that full six county region where previously I was just focused on Battle Creek and Kalamazoo mm-hmm. and our community impact work in, in the region, which Community impact is kind of one of those <laughs> umbrella terms. Yeah. So for us, community impact means our grant making, our community initiatives, and our programs, our direct you know programs that we operate, mm-hmm. like small business, like continuum of care. Um, and so I have the privilege of leading the teams and the leaders who, who lead that work on the ground. So my job is to hopefully make their lives easier, <laughs> give them the tools and resources they need to succeed, um, and build community relationships so that folks like the city of Kalamazoo see us as partners and trust us and know that we can deliver um, thought partnership and, and data and, and ultimately results and outcomes in community. And you said you've been at United Way for nine mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Um, how'd you, how'd you become passionate about this work? Yeah, it's a great question. So I grew up in Kalamazoo. So I grew up uh, in like, Country Kalamazoo, so Vicksburg, <laughs> town in Vicksburg. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I grew up in Vicksburg, and um, my mom, um, shout out Leslie Lammy Reed, is uh, was a thirty plus year teacher at KPS. Um, so I grew up in Vicksburg and in, in the Vicksburg school system, but my mom taught my you know my whole life um, at KPS and was an art teacher there. Um, I love it because we still go out in public sometimes and people are like, Mrs. Lammy Reed, <laughs> you were my teacher. Uh, so apparently she, you know, art is one of those things people, a lot of people uh, remember that and see that as a, you know, I don't know, a, a great part of their childhood. So um, she's a part of a lot of people in the community's like memories of, of, uh, of KPS, which is awesome. Um, while she was at KPS, she started a nonprofit um, called Warm Kids which is actually still functioning today. Um, yeah, so 30, 30, oh my gosh, she'll kill me, but 30 plus years later, I don't remember the exact years, but it's, I think it's been 35 plus years that she and some other teachers at KPS banded together and just, they were seeing kids missing school or coming to school without appropriate winter clothing, right? Mm-hmm. Without boots, without coats, without mittens, all those things. And they just started trying to fix it. So they created this small nonprofit it's largely been volunteer led by like a working board, including my mom. 
And so I grew up seeing her do that. Yeah. Um, and um, my dad as well is a realtor, but kind of an... <laughs> We joke he's a social worker <laughs> uh, disguised as a realtor because he is always about the people of the yeah. work um, and has done lots of things in community, um, um, a lot of activism work in community as well. So I just grew up with parents who sort of modeled that, modeled that community engagement and that responsibility and responsibility, I think, of the privilege we had in mm -hmm. many ways um, to engage. And so I always sort of saw the nonprofit sector is a space that I wanted to be in eventually. Um, and so when it was time for me to start my career, um, I graduated college in uh, the recession. So I graduated college in 2009. Mm. So I came out of college, my undergrad, I had a little liberal arts degree, and I moved back into my parents' basement wow. <laughs> in Kalamazoo and Millwood. Yeah. And uh, what do I do now? So I started working at a temp agency, just doing whatever, you know, to try to get my first job. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working in workforce development. So I started working uh, with workforce development programming in Kalamazoo County and just jumped in and became a case manager and then kind of worked my way up in that programming, specifically in the PATH program, which is welfare reform programming. Oh, yeah. So I was, uh, to be frank, a, a little, you know, recently graduated white woman mm -hmm. entering this field and then being put in a position to provide really critical services to mostly BIPOC, black, indigenous, and people of color. Yeah. Um, mostly women, everyone had children because it was welfare and you had to have children to be eligible for that service. Um, and jumped into it and did that job. And in doing that job for about five years, realized how flawed those policies were. So it was government programming. It was, it was not, lack of better, it was not good policy. Right. <laughs> it was racist. <laughs> it was uh, misogynistic. It really... It, it's built on the idea that like women should be married. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not married, they then are like going to be dependent on the government. So it incentivized like marriage. Mm -hmm. There were just all sorts of flawed roots to it. And so I pretty quickly within working in that space got frustrated because mm -hmm. I was working in this program where there was a very limited set of tools that I could use to help these people. And I wasn't actually helping them. In many cases, right. I was making their life more difficult, disrespecting them. I was looking at them with a the programs looked at them with a deficit mindset mm -hmm. that they needed to be helped, fixed, yeah. saved, which is incorrect. Right. And, um, and yeah, it just, it was demoralizing in that way. So I came to United Way because I wanted to address more of the systemic root cause issues and be able to collaborate with a wider variety of people to really wrap around folks and, and make change. That's what brought me to United Way nine years ago. Okay. Okay. What did you start off doing there? I was a community impact associate. So I, oh, you know, gotcha. started and just was kind of on the ground and yeah. doing grant making. And then, yeah, over time, you know, shifted and changed and, and got to where I am today. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know your mom had a nonprofit. Yeah. And your dad's a, your dad is a realtor. You could have went on that side, like the for-profit side. It's funny. I actually have, I got my real estate license. Really? When I was, yeah. Anyway, that could be a whole other tangent. I got a real estate license once because I was like, maybe I'll go do that. Maybe I'll go, yeah. like maybe I'll go work with my dad. Yeah. And then I was like, no, I love what I'm doing. I loved the nonprofit side too. I loved it too much. Yeah. And I was like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. So <laughs> I cannot sell you a house. Sorry. Sorry, Kalamazoo. No, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you had mentioned the, the partnerships already mm -hmm. and then specifically about uh, partnership with city. Yeah. And I know one of the big partnerships 
partnership components with the city has been around business development. Mm -hmm. And I also know that's a that's a kind of a newer space for our, our yeah, local United absolutely. Way to be in. Uh, could you tell us more about about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd welcome uh, Mel to jump in as well, because mm -hmm. I know she's worked with our team really closely on that. Um, yeah, I distinctly remember uh, as at the onset of the pandemic, as we were all really um, in crisis, right, and trying to figure out how to how to work remotely and when we were going to be able to come back and just the chaos of the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. One of the things that was top of mind for all of us was how this was impacting small businesses, mm -hmm. right? We knew that the shutdowns, the, you know, constant changes in laws and guidance were really likely to harm um, our small businesses, which are already pretty fragile, right? And um, in their development. And so we met with some folks from the city of Kalamazoo uh, about that issue. And we were asked like, hey, you know, we're partnering with you to do this other, this other, you know, COVID-19 relief to nonprofits and all these other spaces. Is that something that United Way could do? And of course we looked around and talked to some other folks, you know, in the economic development space and what they had the capacity to do and what we had the capacity to do. And ultimately we realized like, this is a space where we could apply our infrastructure um, and expertise and, and help. And so we raised our hand and said, yep, we can do that um, and jumped right in. And so we started to develop small business loans and what we call our micro enterprise grants. Mm -hmm. um, so our small business loans, um, of course, I didn't bring that information with me. I brought my Alice data, I brought all oh, this yeah. other stuff, but um, we basically have small business loans up to 50,000. 1% interest. 1% interest, good, good terms. No credit check. Yeah, no credit check. So we really wanted to create a product that was uh, different than things that our small businesses could maybe get from the private, you know, from mm -hmm. the banking industry. So we tried to really um, push back against traditional ideas of like risk mm -hmm. and what is a high risk investment and really just trying to get, get dollars out the door to support businesses who needed a loan to make it through, <laughs> to make it through shutdowns or slowdowns in their businesses based on COVID. And then based on feedback we got to the loans, which was, hey, it feels really scary to take on debt right now because I don't know when I'm going to be able to reopen or what our future looks like as a company. Yeah. And we also heard from BIPOC business owners, especially that they already um, felt like they were on the edge or at risk and they didn't necessarily trust institutions as far as like taking resources from them or, or kind of having their best interests in mind. And so we realized that we needed a grant option. So something that was just money without repayment. Mm -hmm. And so the micro enterprise grants were, were developed and we really had a focus on getting those grant dollars out to women owned, um, BIPOC owned and SPK's priority neighborhoods of mm -hmm. East side, Edison and North side, um, and really targeting uh, those neighborhoods for support um, of the small business loans and grants. So we have an awesome team. I have colleagues, Mally Trueblood and Natalie Sacedo, who have really led um, that effort on the ground. And we've had really awesome results. I'm curious of Mel's thoughts of how that's all played out. It's been, I think it's worked pretty well. Molly and I started together and we are just trying to figure out, like, I think the first year the results were not as we thought, like mm -hmm. we wanted to, rep we thought that more black owned businesses were gonna apply and they didn't. 
So the next round, Molly and I kind of partnered with a few different people. We did, uh, we just tried to like follow up with phone calls and kind of like do less email, more like in person, Mm -hmm. helping people fill out the application. We held a couple like community events over on Patterson with, we partnered with a community center, Chantel. Um, She runs a community center called the Arbor, Arbor on Patterson. Shout out to her. She's doing amazing work. And a lot of people came. I mean, they all needed help to, to get uh, get this grant filled out. And I think um, we had computers and Wi-Fi and everything there and snacks. And it, that worked really well. Mm-hmm. I think l- this, I'm just thinking of recent work with, with the United Way and working with Molly, is she's, we've done like a really good job of sharing documents. Mm-hmm. So if I say, hey, I met with this business owner, they got the KMAG grant. Um, can you share their documents? And of course we get consent from the business owner, but that's been a huge thing. So there's no like duplication of, mm-hmm. okay, we need to see a copy of your DBA or we need to see a copy of this. Molly just sends it to me, which I feel like that, that's kind of unique. You know, we don't, it's not written on paper, which mm-hmm. maybe it should be. So it's a process. Yeah. Uh, but that's been really helpful. And we've just, we've been really, uh, I think focus on the thought partners like hey I got this business owner they're doing this like what do you think have you worked with them like how could we support like okay you they they have their they can use their grant dollars for your you know you can use your grant for that and then they need this that you know that's something that's in my wheelhouse so we can come together yeah um that's been really helpful I've I call Molly invent and you know just it's it's a lot to work with these business owners are so vulnerable like they're right on the edge most likely yeah. and uh, just it's usually just one person maybe mm-hmm. two people uh, they've been in business for a year coming out of the pandemic and kind of just trying to figure it out throw some stuff out and some of them are doing really well and some of them are like right on the edge and need that boost from one of us to like really take them to the next level yeah. so yeah. Yeah. I think COVID has been a good reminder of like the importance of centering the customer in a way. Right. Cause yes. I, we think of them as like the, the client, right. The business right. is the client. We think about that with our nonprofit partners. And I think COVID gave a lot of us permission to let go of the unnecessary. Like, mm-hmm. and I know, you know, we're not a government like you, you know, like government obviously has constraints with that, but as United way, we're able to be pretty agile and like responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, and not yeah. overcomplicate things. And just yeah. like, we can be direct, we can we can support, we can do what we need to do. Um, what's going to make it the best experience for that business owner who, Mel, to your point, is working two jobs in addition to their business is stressed and struggling. And how do we make it as positive as an experience as we can mm-hmm. and not another thing to stress stress them out? Yeah. Yeah. They limit hassle factors. and Yeah. They already come in with a lot of pain points. For sure. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, could you dig up this paperwork that shows you've been in business for a year and sometimes they can't find it? But I think one one t- one thing we've done is like been a little more open about what kind of paperwork we will accept to like prove that they've been in business for a year. So we've kind of ex- expanded that to be mm-hmm. like, okay, you don't have to show us the articles of organization. You know, you can show us like a copy of, you know, of your DBA or uh, like a food safe, surf safe license or something else that like still proves you've been going at it for at least a year. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. 
The um so the business development work, a newer avenue mm-hmm. for United Way. What's what's been the, the biggest insight you gained from that whole experience? I think it's reinforced the benefits of of agility of like I keep saying agility, which is funny. I think it's one of those buzzwords of, of flexibility and of being open to new opportunities. Yeah. I think of what would have happened if we had said if we had been if the city had asked us and we had been like, no, that's not really our wheelhouse. I honestly think about that a lot because we have been able to get millions of dollars out. And even in our most recent round of, of KMEG, for example, which the data is going to be live on that very soon. I think the press release is in process. But we had hundreds of black women owned, like SPK. I mean, we have really achieved our goals of having this serve those populations. Mm-hmm. And so just the thought that that might not have happened because we might have been like, um, uh, you know, that's not really, we yeah. haven't done that before. So we're, no, we'll pass, right? Right. Um, I just think sometimes the, it's reinforced for us that being open and responsive can just yield really beautiful results and impactful results for yeah. community. Because I just think about, if that, yeah, if that money had not gotten to those small business owners, just what a or loss that was. Yeah, because we had yeah. it. Because we didn't have to go and get the money. Yeah. We had yeah. it. Yeah. So it was just a matter of, a distribution turning on the faucet and, yeah and we were we kind of slow at that our organization so yeah it that's our wheelhouse slowing down money slowing yeah. down. it would have been slower yeah so that would have yeah. been yeah that yeah. would have been a different yeah a you different want slow outcome. money come to us <laughs> come to the city we are specialized we need both we need we need slow long-term money and we need like here and now money right yeah, so yeah. that's where that partnership yeah. can be can be helpful so yeah, it's it's good that United Way was able, because I mean it's some validity in in folks you know sticking sticking in their lane, mm-hmm. but just the the thought of okay, well let's discuss this and let's you know let's let's have an open mind about it, and you know if it didn't work, you know I'm sure United Way would also been like yeah hey, you know what we did we tried yeah and we. we yeah, you we know, need to find a partner who can help. Yeah, who can take this where we can't. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece. Um, Self awareness is important, right? What are what are our strengths and what not? Um, I also think for us, we tend to check everything against Alice. So, mm-hmm. um, asset limited, income income constrained, and employed, um, and really serving Alice households is a key focus for us. And so, that was a piece that we thought about. Yeah. When we thought about small business, we're like these small business owners. They are Alice, and they're often employing Alice, right? Because as they're starting out, they're unable to pay, in many case, cases, wages above $20 an hour, which which would get most folks over the Alice threshold. Yep. Um, and you so, said $20 an hour? Yeah, so, yes. So, well, that's a, yeah. Actually, it's a great segue. Yeah, I figured That was the be. next question. It was coming around to Alice. Yeah. So, we there. And, yeah, uh, all right. $20 an hour for one adult. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, so... I already said the acronym, but I'll say it again. So ALICE stands for Asset Limited, Income Constrained, and Employed. And it's an acronym related to the ALICE Report, which is a report that the Michigan Association of United Way commissions Mm -hmm. with support from Consumers Energy. Um, Our most recent report was released in 2021. And so I do have some of that data. Happy to to share because I always take any opportunity to share the data. Um, But really, it speaks to 
the fact, it really seeks to illuminate a population of people that is not often highlighted in our community, which is folks who are above the federal poverty line, yes. but below the Alice threshold, which is a threshold that the report establishes based on the local cost of living in Kalamazoo County. Yeah. So it has localized county by county data in that report. And it really shows us that there are people from 200% of the federal poverty line to four, about 400% of the federal poverty line who, based on the cost of living here in Kalamazoo, are still absolutely struggling to make ends meet. Yeah. They can be working one, two, three jobs um, and are still struggling. And that survival budget shows us um, that it would take many household configurations, you know, a single adult, a, two adults with two school-aged children, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, an average of about $20 an hour per working adult to be able to get over that threshold. And that, just for clarification, the federal poverty level is set yearly mm -hmm. by, I want to say, Department of Health and Human Services. But that established, it, it kind of sets eligibility criteria for um, certain programs mm -hmm. um, that folks can access. And so I want to say that the 2022 and they usually, the, the rule of thumb is like a family of four. They, you know, 100% for a family of four. But like Alyssa said, it's different household configurations. And more realistically, it, it kind of plays out in terms of like a family of three is, mm -hmm. is more typical mm -hmm. for especially our community. And so the Alice uh, piece, the federal poverty level does not take into account like child care costs. Yeah, no, it's based. Oh, yeah, it's so. Yeah, they don't. It's it's, it's so old low. school, and it's it's some, it's a logic to it, but again, where we at now? The like, methodology is flawed. So, like, man. I happen to have in my brain the number around single adults as an example. So, like, yeah, a single adult household, the federal poverty line for that individual is twelve thousand and I think twelve thousand and four hundred dollars a year. Yeah. So if they're making less than that, they would be below the federal poverty line. Yeah, that's 100%. Yes, that's the federal poverty line. So yeah. that's wild to think about, like, literally, like, $1,000 a month. You said 12000 12000 like, 400 Yeah. So you're living, I mean, there's no way. Like, a person in a house, that's not feasible for someone to live off of $1,000 a month. So that's, that is that's insufficient, like, and it's like not related to reality. 96 an hour. Yeah. 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 And then... And then rent, like rent is at least $1,000. <laughs> yeah, for most people. So that's where the Alice is so helpful because the Alice survival threshold for a single individual is double that. It's 24000 and some change. So it's a much more realistic picture of what... Um, it's, I just really think it's a much more realistic reflection of, of, of people's economic situation and their reality. And the budget is still very bare bones. It's housing, childcare, transportation, healthcare. So it's not luxury items. It's not, you know, right. it's not like but just it's survival. Just cost of truly. living. Yes. Like, yeah. what does it take to, to live? Like, the things you need to live. Food. I forgot food. Food's a big yeah. right? So it's, it yeah. is very much to your point, the vi like, the basic right. necessities. Is and the internet part of that? It is. So there's a technology awesome. line, which covers very basic um very basic like Wi-Fi and yep. smartphone uh, capabilities. That's actually new though. The first couple reports didn't include that. Yeah. And then, you know, the reality became like, ever, you need those, right? That's not yeah. an option anymore to like have key, those things. Uh, yeah, like key building blocks to 
to quality of life yeah. and even mm-hmm. positioning folks like positioning folks to get to access it yeah, yeah. To, so to i mean even that. even with the internet you know i'm sure you know some folks could say some things about that but if you want to access a job that pays twenty dollars an hour mm-hmm. or more, you you gonna need some internet access. Yeah, well, I think yeah. COVID. I think point blank. COVID <laughs> highlighted that too, right? Because like, who could go remote? Who couldn't? Who yeah. you know, like, yeah. it, who could work from home? And like, again, all of those things assume making doctors appointments assume I mean, a level you, of access. You yeah, you can do that online now. I mean, telehealth. You can do yep. yeah, right. Like folks who did not have internet heading into COVID were really cut off. Yeah, from yeah a huge amount of. Yeah. Of things. And so that and so for, for folks listening, Alice is is not separate from like the, the FPL stuff. It's interconnected and it's important. It's basically like building blocks, if you think about mm. it. So there's a federal poverty level, which are the folks who I would say like they are struggling the most. Mm-hmm. They are are in the most difficult economic position. Yeah. And then there is this distinct Alice population who are the folks of Above that federal poverty above line. Above that, yep. But again, still struggling yeah. to make ends meet. So still not balancing that survival budget right. that the report establishes. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them don't, uh, a lot of them aren't eligible for like mm-hmm. a lot of the public services. Yeah. That's another distinction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and yep. so you think about, I think about my own, my mother, she feels some way to this day about that. She worked at the phone company and, and made too much for public benefits, but not enough to you know we do we definitely want to thriving right so is is that is that weird socioeconomic purgatory mm-hmm. and that's why it's, why it's so important i mean i I, sh- I say this a lot and i don't know why it makes me emotional almost every time i say it which when we first released the alice report several years ago the first report i would be presenting it to people and i would see people getting visibly emotional yeah because they were like oh this is what i am yeah. like they had this light bulb moment of feeling seen and that allowing them to feel like, oh, yeah, this isn't just like my personal failure, mm-hmm. where I think a lot of people, they thought I'm working like I have a bachelor's degree. I mean, Alice has Alice has high school diplomas, associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's, PhDs. There are adjunct professors within our community college system that are Alice. I mean, it doesn't discriminate. It is people of all races, ethnicities. It, anyone can be Alice and everyone is Alice. Right. There is no group that it that there are not Alice's that are a part of it. So um, that it created that of seeing people who have been told like, well, you're not struggling. Like there's people worse, worse off than you. Right. But they're like, but yet I literally every day of every week of every month of every year, I am stressed about money. I am robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. I'm yeah. moving money around and trying to make this work. I'm running up credit card debt. I'm going to pay to lending to, to pay when I'm having an emergency. And making it clear that these folks were not alone, and even maybe more importantly, that it's not about, to me it counters the narrative that I think some folks have that like, people are just like making bad choices, or they're just not working hard enough, or they just didn't oh, yeah, get enough education. Oh, age old, like poverty narratives yeah. Yeah. that we have in our country. Yeah. And so, and it shows- I just need to work like, harder. I yeah, just need like, to get another job. Or yeah, and it's like- I need no, to these, wake up earlier or, you know- yeah. just, Or just manage my money. We need to right. learn to budget better. Right. It's like, look at this budget and tell me how you could budget this any better. Right? That's the thing the survival budget illuminates. Like, there's no, there's not enough income to balance this budget. And so to me, it creates opportunity for that systemic, like how are our systems 
supporting or not supporting Alice households. And Kevin, your example is a great one, right? Like your mom and your family, that benefits cliff is real where folks are eligible and then they get a 50 cent an hour raise because they're working hard. And then that makes them ineligible for hundreds or thousands of dollars in benefits. Um, I think, you know, and that's, that's counter to what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to right. make people's lives, lives worse. Um, yeah. Because they're retaining a job and, and doing what they want to do. So yeah. it's systemic and it is, I think, the responsibility of our community to, to wrap our arms around Alice and figure out how do we make life better for Alice? How do we see Alice and how do we make life better for Alice? I think of like, we've talked about the child savings accounts before, but mm-hmm. like that little amount of savings every month, like maybe getting to go on a vacation once a year where it's maybe just a couple days where you can go rent an Airbnb or go camping yeah. or that isn't, you can't do yeah. with Alice. So yeah. The thing I'm always struck by is like the lack of choice, choice, the lack of yeah. choice that that to me is like the most heartbreaking part. Of course it's access and like we want everyone to have, but like it's just even the just lack of choice, like the lack mm-hmm. of um, mobility Like to your point is not that choice of like, what camp am I going to send my kid to this summer? Like that's not, no. that's not an option for a lot of these families or it's constrained by their budget. And I'm just going to, they're going to stay with grandma this summer because I can't afford to send them to air zoo camp or to do, to do this right. thing. Right. And, um, the lack of choice and the air zoo probably gonna be mad at me. I'm sure air zoo has great scholarship programs, by the way, <laughs> for summer camp. Um, but you know, the choice is constrained and their choices are constrained in housing by those same yeah. systemic issues. It's life, life choices. Where can I send my kid to childcare? Like just transportation is a huge, I mean, yeah. There, just a report I saw a few weeks ago was like the average car payment is seven hundred dollars now. Oh yeah, so yeah, interesting. Ten thousand dollars a year, I think, for an average yeah. car cost of a car, and then yeah. Well, I think that's because of the compounding effect, negative effects that happen to folks in the Alice space. So I kind of mentioned some of these things like payday lending and other things, but th- then they get into a situation potentially where they have a lower credit score. And then anytime they're borrowing or getting a car payment or things like that, they're it's, getting it's, hit with higher interest rates, uh, yeah. which means their car payments. High. It's just like it's this so consistent it's, it's, compounding. Yeah, com- compounded disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we we like to champion our, ourselves as systems thinkers here on the podcast. But yeah, just the the interconnectedness of, of these things um, and how how it plays out and continues to play out in terms of like the constraint on income and and this isn't just you know some feel good you know raise wages and folks will be better off right i gave a presentation to committee at all last week and like i say i quoted from uh, alice um document mm-hmm. and how uh, related to two generation approach how a parent's current financial situation can affect a child's future financial situation mm-hmm. like that's real it's not it's not me saying that that's not opinion like it's people smarter than me well documented uh in terms of research and evidence and it's like to, to think about that in terms of the today and tomorrow and mm-hmm. holistically like this isn't just again some feel-good stuff this is like real hardcore we can help folks now and later I think that's that asset limited piece that you're touching on too, like, or that my brain's going to Kevin of, um, general rate, generational wealth depends on assets. Oh, right. Yeah. And so you mentioned like the child savings accounts or other things like that. 
when a family is in that Alice space and they are asset limited, which fundamentally is a fancy way of saying they cannot save. Right. They are not able to accumulate liquid, liquid assets enough. Yeah, assets or savings yep. that they could save for their children's college. Right. They can save for um, a house, a down payment for a house. Yeah. They can save for to buy their car in cash versus having to take out a high interest loan. They can save for retirement. Retirement. Right. And, and, and then look, like are we legacy all, and are all those we things. all doing that? <laughs> are we all trying to get there? Yeah, it's those things. Again, you know, you in certain positions, you take it for granted. But it's like, yeah, those those are the things we're talking about. And even I had the privilege of attending um, a, a leadership summit, is the Black Man Leadership Summit in, mm-hmm. in Detroit recently. And one of the breakout sessions was around generational wealth. Yeah. And the guy said, it's, all, it's always, you know, some number around like the, the spending power of black, of black people. And he was like, that sucks. I hate to hear that because you, you can't spend your way into wealth, right? He was like, we have to be producers and investors. And so to your point of, of assets and savings in particular, and we talked about the small businesses earlier, mm-hmm. right? The communities folks come from, like the ability to save, the mechanisms that help folks save, that could be potential investments in these small businesses of, uh, of folks, you know, they may even, they may know them. And like, I want to support in a different way. But I don't have, a, I don't have the assets yeah. to do that. And that's what I think is really powerful and a good aspiration because or I guess it's important to name too, as we talk about this, that, those tools of wealth building and a generational wealth building have been historically like intentionally withheld from oh. people of color, right? Yeah. So that's the other yeah. thing is like, and, and so I think it's awesome to think about how we could create alternate, how we could create access to those traditional systems like wealth through home ownership and those types of things. But also how do we, how do we, how do we enable communities of color to also create yeah. alternate pathways, ways they can invest in themselves and each other to what you're saying, Kevin, and don't have to be dependent on, you know, on yeah. white institutional systems that have not created access for them historically. And that's, you know, black people and people of color in particular, but poor people in general. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's, if it's white poor people, it's like, this was an aha moment for me recently. Like, it's, you, when you, in the, at least in the U.S., I haven't lived in anywhere else in the world, but in the U.S., you reach a certain socioeconomic status and it's almost a tipping point to where systems begin to work in your favor. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, I'm working on um, clearing my, my criminal record and having to go back to the courts and get documentation and all that. And it was like that aha moment. It's like, yeah, when you pour, the legal system is, is not working in your favor. The tax system is not working in your favor. Uh, other other systems are not, and it's like you reach a socioeconomic status, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, the tax system is working now. I can write that off. What? I didn't know that. <laughs> or the legal system, you know, um, when you pour, what may get you like football number of years, like you got a, um, a better socioeconomic status. It's like, eh, maybe you get a fine, a low one at that, or a little slap on the wrist. It's mm-hmm. like. All these different systems begin to like work in your favor almost, mm-hmm. you know. But again, when when you pour, that's that's not happening. That's not happening. And I thought about 
wealth management professionals whose sole professional purpose is to, to deal with clients and ensure that their clients never go broke. Mm-hmm. And we think about all these systems in place, which, you know, again, they may have some, some logic in the beginning to try to help people, but in practice, it's like you, you ensuring that poor people stay poor, basically. Yeah. yeah, it can be really interesting. We, um, yeah, and what what are people's, what is our individual responsibility to address that? It, like, <laughs> it's interesting. But to your point, like, what, how do we change that, right? Because uh, to your point, like, tax code's always written, and there's this loophole, and if you have a financial advisor, they can help you figure out that loophole. Oh yeah, the backdoor <laughs> Roth or whatever they call it. Like, yeah. you're not supposed to do a Roth IRA if you make this amount, but there's this whole thing you can do to still have a Roth. Like we had a financial advisor tell us that and we were like, no, we, I I had to say to this financial advisor, like, no, I don't want to take advantage of that Mm -hmm. because like to to that point, it felt almost like unfair where I was like, why do I have access to this, the secret way of accumulating, you know, wealth. Yeah. And like, and that's not something that's accessible to everyone else. Yeah. I was like, I'll just stick to this. I'll stick to this, (laughs) stick to my 403B or whatever. Like, but that's where it's like, I don't know. And that doesn't really make a difference. It's not like I'm me saying no helps someone else directly, but it is interesting of like, yeah, even if we just take it back to Alice, like what is our individual responsibility to help Alice? I think there's a real, um, Alice's can be supported by systemic change. They can also be supported by social capital. And by mutual aid mm. and by collaboration with others. Um, and that's another big piece of Alice is I, I, I hope it makes people feel more connected to each other. And again, less alone. Mm-hmm. Because then we can start to think about where could we work collectively to make these changes? Where can we offer support and help? Like, where can I offer childcare to someone so that they can go do X, Y, Z thing? Mm-hmm. I think it creates an opportunity for us to recenter ourselves on the idea of a community that cares about each other and that is going to like work the village, right? Like the mm-hmm. village mentality, which I think we've gotten so far away from as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, how do we actually like work to take care of each other and yeah. to make things better for everyone? And what's our individual responsibility for that? What's our institutional responsibility mm-hmm. for that? And I think those are things we should all reflect on and think about how could I make life better for the Alice's in my life? Yeah. Yeah, and, and take on a, a mindset. I know that that sounds kind of cliche, but like I'm, I'm getting like daily confirmations of, of the, the reality of it and how concrete it is. And, and like all the stuff that Alyssa mentioned, just basically, like how do we get to yes? Like we, we want to improve. I don't think there's anybody that would say, I don't want to improve the community. Yeah. It might be different ways, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, how do we get to yes then? How do we get to yes together mm-hmm. in terms of, because we we all in spaces where it's either direct resistance or some some variation to a, a like, it's like, well, I don't know about that because of this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I get it. You know, it, it's constraints but like, how do we get to yes? We're trying to get to yes here. So I don't want to hear like all these barriers or all these what ifs. Uh, what if this can happen? Uh, what if that? And I'm like, man, if you don't shut the hell up, I'm trying to get to the. What if someone takes advantage? Like, there's always there's always a lot of there's a, there's yeah. a lot of the same off ramps. We call them off ramps at United Way. Okay. In our equity work and other spaces, like 
just those kind of excuses that we yeah. use yeah. Uh, as organizations or institutionally or like, we're like, oh, well, no, that like, well, someone could abuse that. So we should just oh, not. Or someone could. Um, so that's like an example of a, a good example of an off ramp where it just it takes you away from that. Right. Yeah, on the road. If you're on the road to yes. Yeah. As you're saying, you're like, well, off ramp. Off ramp. How do you keep people so, on the road? Yeah. Keep people on the road and moving. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's an old trope, too. Like, you know, old wine and new bottles. It, um, and it's speaking to, you know, some of those inequitable narratives directly. Yeah. Like, and people taking advantage. It's like, dude, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. I think, really? um, yeah. speaking of podcasts, another plug, another, so another podcast that has really changed a lot of my thinking and I think our organization's thinking, and many philanthropy, like other philanthropists um, locally, they're thinking, there's a podcast called uh, Ethical Rainmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and it focuses on philanthropy and like deconstructing the systemic issues in philanthropy, which there are many, many um, of those. And so um, one of the great ones I think is a great one to start with is there's a short podcast called um, The Racist Roots of Philanthropy. Mm. But it talks a lot about that, of like the fact that the whole system of philanthropy in the United States was basically built on that underlying premise. One, that it was really designed as a, wealth preservation, a wealth and power preservation tool for wealthy people, right? They could create their private foundation, they could still manage the money, but they could see tax benefit. But also um, the underlying premise that people who are struggling, like something is inherently wrong with them and they need something externally, a program, education, whatever, like to fix them. Um, and that's really what a lot of our system, our social service system is built on, is that premise that they don't have the tools and so they need to do X, Y, Z to get the tools to succeed. Right. Yeah. They're, not, is, they're not so whole. They're not, the, yeah. The whole, right. the, yeah. The, yeah, the underlying concept is something's wrong with them. Yeah, we need something to is, Something's wrong with them. And if not for it is, then, you know, it's like, as opposed to like that village concept or collective where it's like, one, nothing is wrong with you. Yeah. Two, we all need supports in some form or fashion because we are human. Life is hard just fundamentally. Yeah. And now we got all these these extra layers of challenge and difficulty. So it's like all of us need help, right, and, at some point. And so how do we help? And to what you said earlier, a lot of us have the help we need because we have yeah. been given, you know, access to it. Yeah. And we've withheld that access to other individuals and then we're, and then we sort of go, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're it's like we're not giving them water and then we're going like, Why are you thirsty? Right. Just like don't you know, like yeah. I just it's or or you know it's, it's so many variations on that, like, you know, I did it. I I know growing up in black community it's so many variations of that narrative. Like, uh, you know, I did it, you could do it, I got mine, you know, we, we grew up in the same neighborhoods. Like, what's wrong with you? Right? Or other like white people looking like oh okay well that's that's interesting you know kevin did all right and he's well what's wrong with the rest of the people mm. and it's like nothing <laughs> nothing right. is wrong and then, you know it's like i be you know it is i'm in my position by a hair you know it's like it's so many variables that mm-hmm. that could have been like yeah we're not having this conversation yeah. I think it all it all predicates too on the idea of like there's one success is one thing. Yeah. Success is is wealth, success is and to be clear, like Alice is trying to shine a light on that, but it's not in any way saying like again, 
poverty is inherently worse than Alice or Alice is inherently right to your point Mm -hmm. worse than being above Alice. It's more like this is the reality. Um, And I, I think the important thing to say is that there's really no value placed on that. Right. We Mm -hmm. feel, we know that people in poverty are working to your point are working so hard are doing, you know, doing what they can. Same with Alice and same with folks above the Alice threshold. Yeah. There's nothing inherently different about the people in either of, in any of those categories. Yeah. All valuable all contributing to our community. Yeah. And so I think that's an important piece to touch on. Um, but we have a very, I think in our American culture, we have a very specific example of, or like an idea of what success is. Yeah. And so to your point, it's like, we're all like, uh, you know, it's so narrow. Yeah. And it's not probably even, it's not true. Right. <laughs> like people can be successful and unhappy and not, I mean, it's like, that's the thing where it's all, yeah, it's all but, a crapshoot. But anyway. the, the, the material aspects of I think back to what you said in terms of choice, and I interpret that as like options, right? So the the material connection to have increased options. As an example, I got a colleague. They stay in. They I've been in their house, nice house. And before the first time we got invited, my wife looked it up online, like where is this place at, and we saw how much. It was, it was, you did worth. the Zillow search. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and so I, I thought about a scenario where, you know, our, our core neighborhoods, as an example, if a family wanted to move where my colleague lived, like every fiber of their being, they wanted to, to move there. They couldn't, they couldn't, there's no way, there's no way that's happening. Uh, to your point, is is multitudes of, you know, happiness and how you can define that, but the the material aspect of what we're talking about, for the purpose of increasing options, like Absolutely. that's that's real, and protection from harm. Yeah. Like I don't want to minimize too that, people in poverty and and in the Alice space and like, they are less. Um, they in many ways are more subject to like actual harm. Yeah. Right. To worse health, you know, to disparate health outcomes, yep. to being exposed to environmental racism yep. and environmental um, yeah. factors. Right. They're in locations where there might be more exposure to pollution. Right. More, um, you know, different things like that. So I think yeah, I physical know, that's harm. real too. Like yeah. there's actual Fi- risk of physical health harm, like those pieces that also, um, yeah. that also that, capital gives you pr- some protection from. yeah health is connected to wealth this is well documented again this social ain't me, determinants of health yeah, yeah this ain't me talking mm-hmm. this is this is well documented um and in fact yeah social determinants of health for those that don't know uh it's it's basically when you walk through uh, a medical facility or in a healthcare facility like 20 percent of of what is happening is directly the health related thing Mm -hmm. right the other 80 are socioeconomic factors yeah right and that is just it's just just mind-blowing it's just mind-blowing yeah and i think an important note is like there's intersectionality there too even from economic socioeconomic status and race so cradle kalamazoo here Mm -hmm. led by the ywca gives us great examples of that where the data around infant mortality for example shows us that in many instances even just having economic um, security mm-hmm. is actually not still not enough in some cases. Oh yeah. So like the data for Cradle Kalamazoo shows us that um, race is the ultimate mm-hmm. like decider in many ways. So right. 
even a very wealthy black family yeah. and Kalamazoo and a black woman having a baby is still at much higher risk of experiencing infant mortality, premature birth and those types of outcomes mm-hmm. than her poor yeah. federal poverty line or lower white counterpart. Yep. So race in and of itself because of systemic racism mm-hmm. um, and epigenetics and the stress that people of black people in our community carry um, generationally and intergenerationally, like that itself is a factor. And so I think that's an interesting thing about Alice too, is it's the socioeconomic, but there's also, you know, a huge racial disparity component. Oh yeah. That then again, creates that compounding right. um, effect. Yeah. I do just want to share some quick data because I'm realizing we're talking about all this Alice stuff and I'm not, I want to give at least for the listeners a little bit of like context. So Mm -hmm. um, for the city of Kalamazoo, um, there are 29,007 households. um, 29,000. 29,007 households. And 53% of those households are living below the Alice threshold. So that includes both those in that living below the federal poverty line, and then also those living in that specific Alice category. So struggling to make ends meet to, to differing degrees. Um, and that's huge. That's definitely on the higher end for our county. Um, and uh, so just wanted to give that context to folks of what, what the numbers that we're really talking yeah, about here. That's the, that's the whole city, the 29,000. Yeah. And then you could disaggregate that, like the core neighborhoods. Like yeah. That's not on there yet. No, yeah, okay. we don't have that level of specificity, but that would be super interesting. Another, like, really, we just got these new Alice in Focus reports, and one is focused on children, and I think there's some really um, compelling and horrifying, honestly, um, data within that as well. So this isolates, for this specific data, um, what they call Central Kalamazoo, which is actually the city of Portage and the city of Kalamazoo, which is interesting yeah. to combine those. but um, And it really shows that um, the, the racial disparity is really significantly. So... Um, in that geographical area are Hispanic and Latinx children. Um, 89% of them are living below the Alice threshold. Mm-hmm. So in, in households that are struggling um, to make ends meet. And our black households, 70, or sorry, our black households with children, 71% of them are in poverty. Yeah. An additional... Uh, 15% in that Alice category. So a total of 85% of our black children in city of Portage and city of Kalamazoo combined are living below the Alice threshold. Yeah. So the absolutely the majority of our, of those populations are in households that are struggling. Yeah. And if, if folks hadn't figured that out yet, um, she's had children so, and she did, you say ages, but yep. regardless yep. of age, 18, the, 18 and below, the, the, they are connected to adults. So if that's the case for the children, you know, imagine what, you know, they don't, they don't have super rich parents, obviously. Right. So again, this, this highlights not just the, the work of, of Alice and why that's important, but also 2 gen approach and, and why it's important for us to collectively focus on to today and tomorrow in terms of other, the family unit, because, you know, again, people hear that and they hear the children and just think, Oh, this is just terrible. It's just horrifying and all that. And it's like, yeah, 
they living with parents. So <laughs> I know imagine. we got this data later. I do think it's important because I do think when it's adults there, when you're talking about the adults, you kind of like, I, I don't know. I just think you can think about it more as data. Yeah. This children in focus. It's like, yeah, I think it makes it, um, yeah, it makes it a bit more real for folks of like, these are children that did not choose to get right. We're brought into this right. world. They did not choose to be here. Right. Um, we're glad they're here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what, and their experiences. And again, the choices that are being made for them, right? And how those are limited and then how that impacts those children and their trajectory. Mm -hmm. um, it's just really unfair, to be honest. It's really, uh, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking, like I said. And it's infuriating and it makes, you know, I think it motivates myself and our team at United Way and many in the community to, to do things differently so that we don't continue to have this outcome. It's not new, to be clear, right? We've oh, yeah. had these, we've, we've known we've had um, you know, black and, and brown families living oh, in yeah. significant poverty in our community. Yeah, um, and we, we, we've, we throw that term around generational or intergenerational uh, poverty. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what folks think that is, but, yeah, this is, this is that. When we look at our, especially our core neighborhoods, that, that's the physical manifestation of what that looks like. And... You know, to your earlier point, you know, success could take on many forms, but you know, my thinking now is around, like, the economics and, like, the, the material pieces that allow for greater and increased options, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, the idea of, um, like, jobs and acquiring uh, access to good, having access to good jobs, yeah. right? And this, this idea around, you know, $20 an hour, and again, economic success isn't the the sole thing, right? Of course, right. but it the positioning, right? The as a building block, you know what I mean? And it's like it's no way you go you go generate any type of wealth with zero income, right? And yeah, so no, it is definitely a critical. It's a critical piece. Yeah. And again, I also think it's important to like the Alice folks have a lot again, to offer, right? Like mm -hmm. they, like we, we need them in the workforce yep. um, and jobs that tap into their passions and their skills. Um, and so I think that's important too. Sometimes we talk about like Alice needs, like they need these wages, but yeah. I think it's important to remind everyone too, like companies need, need these workers, right? We know yeah. people are struggling to fill skilled roles. We know there are huge gaps um, right now in the employment market and folks are hiring. And everyone's hiring and hiring and hiring. And um, so I just think it's important too, to Alice deserves great jobs with good wages and employers need Alice workers um, yeah. and their, their skill and expertise as well. And our community benefits from that. Again, if you, you, you probably won't support, I remember who was the guy we had, the Delish Supper Club. Oh yeah, Chef uh, Q. Yeah. So, you know, a business like his uh, and, it, and his wife, like you less likely to support something like that if you income constrained. So I mean this is again the systems piece just recognizing the interconnectedness and, and how these things interplay off one another. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not it's not one is subordinate to the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we, we have to cut the onus is on, you know, systems and institutions and folks in those to say, okay, again, there's nothing wrong with, with folks uh, in Alice population or a poverty is not a fixing thing. The onus is on us to, you know, work together and figure mm -hmm. out, you know, again, how we get to yes. 
And I do think focus, it's important to name and focusing on income is a way to not have to people be forced to engage with the social service system, mm-hmm. right? Like at the end of the day, if, if I can make enough to where I don't, I can make choices and I don't have to rely on right. these services. I can afford to buy my own food. Then I, I, then there's a whole other thing of time poverty we could talk about, right? Where the amount of time people have to spend navigating mm-hmm. these social services, then time away from their families, time away from their work or their side hustle or their yeah. own business. Like, We've created this whole elaborate system where folks have to go different places to get their needs met. Yeah. It is true that if they have their own sources of income, they they can make the choice to not engage with that social service side. Yeah. And you know, and then be able to just live their life. Like yeah. we all like people, you know, yeah. of economic privilege get to. Yeah. It's don't have ex- to engage with those systems. It's expensive to be poor. Yeah. Time consuming, expensive, yeah. Absolutely. I think we should end on a positive note, Kevin. Oh, we always do. Yeah. Good. Okay, what's I, our positive? I, I was wondering. <laughs> I had this collective exhale of like, <sighs> oh I my was, gosh. I was wondering if, if Mel had anything else. I think one, one learning or challenge, I think, in this work is like, is, will, will these dollars, like, okay, this person gets a K-Mag, $5,000. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that, what impact is that going to have? And we don't know that yet because it hasn't been that long, maybe two, two, three years. And is that going to help this issue that we have? We're, I don't know. I, I kind of had some big learnings the last few weeks, and I'm like, I don't know. We don't know. We're predicting. We think that's going to help. It, it seems like just money probably isn't, but, like, I'm seeing you have to – there's so many pieces to the human. Like, you need you – need, housing and all like transportation all this is is five thousand dollars for your business gonna be able to do this and help you get out of alice and yeah that's huge probably not i'm I'm, i mean i'm just being real yeah we want to think we can but like and there's a lot of other pieces that i think like kevin's working on sbk stuff so obviously the bit it's not everybody but yeah a good example could be like the multi so like in the small business example i think someone could come get a k-meg loan they could get that five thousand it could help them put some infrastructure in place or mm-hmm. pay themselves because maybe they haven't been paid, yes. um, pay, you know, rent on their space, whatever that looks yeah. like. And then I'd love, you know, they feel a little more stable, a little more secure. Then can we get them linked with our small business loans? Yes. And then that could give them a little bit bigger chunk of change where they could start to do some investment and then they can successfully pay off that loan over time. And then they have, you know, they then can they be more bankable to a mainstream bank? And then can they get even more in loan, you know, can they get more in loan funds that can allow them to scale their business and grow their business? So I think you're right in the ideal world, there'd be those sorts of pathways yeah. so that the work we're doing isn't just that one time, you know, yes. one time it could yeah. be more of a pathway to really um, help them engage with the general market and, and pieces pa- that everyone else has access a, to. A prosperity pathway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I mean, ultimately that's what, you know, we, we want them to be successful. We want them to stay in our community and be successful. So it's, 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 it's a multitude of pathways to get there. But, yeah, what are some key building blocks that need to be in place? Yeah, yeah. And um, to Alyssa's point, again, collectively, how are we communicating and ensuring that, you know, folks aren't falling through the, through the gaps? I think about it. Somebody gave me an example of, like, a blanket that – or a quilt that you know somebody put together 
and like it could have big holes in it, but the tighter the weave, right? You know, the the holes will get smaller, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm think I think about I visualize it kind of like that. Like right now, we got a lot of holes in our like community fabric, and so folks fall through, right? But tightening it up mm-hmm. and making it stronger, you know, and then you know, less people can fall through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah. a good analogy. I did have one more question for yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. The um, what do you see as the next evolution of you know our local United Way and and the Alice work? So glad you asked that, Kevin. So um, a big piece is, and I kind of touched on it, right? The um, the employer side. Mm-hmm. So we are really fortunate, United Way, to have strong relationships with many corporations. Um, across our footprint, who we partner with to, to run workplace campaigns and mm-hmm. to partner for community good. Um, but we started to realize that we have, have an opportunity with them that we haven't always tapped into to educate them about Alice and to support them in becoming a, a more Alice-friendly workplace. Mm-hmm. And what we mean by that is that they have sort of systems and awareness of Alice and they can really assess their own practices, policies, um, to make sure that they are they work for Alice. A great example is like their paid time off policy. Their, uh, you know, some companies hire people on and start them at lower wages and then yeah. ramp them up over 60 or 90 days. They could lose really good Alice folks during that time period because they're having mm-hmm. childcare challenges, transportation. Like yeah. start them at the wage you're going to start them with. That'll make them more, um, you know, that'll make it more possible for them to stay with you. Um, don't, don't wait to offer benefits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't wait. To, so like, looking at policies and practices like that to make sure they're not, um, yeah, creating really big barriers for Alice folks. Um, so that's a critical piece. We're super excited. We're collaborating with the United Way of Northern New Jersey, who's sort of the, the founders of the Alice methodology and report. And we are piloting or calling United for Alice at work. Mm-hmm. And we'll be enrolling companies to actually like pilot that and, and go through that uh, curriculum mm-hmm. um, to become a more... Um, Alice friendly workplace. Our goal, of course, would be that they're you know paying wages that that help people be above Alice. Right. But we also know that there's, you know, challenges. Yeah, there's challenges with that, and we want to mm. help meet people where they are, um, and make life better for Alice now. Yeah. And the workplace is a big place where that can happen. Mm-hmm. Again, where they might not all be engaging with the social service ne- uh, sector. So how do right. we improve things where they're working every day, every week? Yeah. Um, so that's I think one of the next evolutions is really making sure that we're every lever that we have as United Way where we could possibly influence systems for Alice, we want to we wanna do that. So that's the next frontier. Sweet. Yeah, that's great. Great work. I just remembered this thing about United Way when I, my, one of my first jobs at a hospital. If we uh, paid $2 to United Way on Fridays, we could wear jeans. Jeans day. That was a classic. Jeans day. That's okay. So we're actually <laughs> heading into campaign season. So this is great. I feel like you just gave me such a great opening, Mel. <laughs> so I think this is important. A lot of people's experience with United Way, people just have all kinds of interesting experiences with United Way, especially people who've worked in a workplace yeah. where there's a United Way campaign. Yeah. And sometimes I hear like horror stories where they're like, my boss made me give to United Way and like told me I'd be in trouble if I didn't. Or yeah, I bet. I want to just say... For all you listeners out there, um, that's definitely not our goal. I would say that's kind of like the, the old model of United Way was very focused on workplace campaigns. Extortion? <laughs> not extortion. Um, <laughs> that's never our United goal. Way. <laughs> what, what we want to do is create... Uh, the thing I love about United Way in its model 
is it is a democratic fundraiser. It creates an opportunity for anyone in an organization to give. The person on the shop floor, Mm -hmm. on the assembly line, and the CEO of the company, they can give to United Way. And I think that's a beautiful part about it is that our, the, the investments we are able to make are because of tens of thousands of individual donors mm-hmm. giving small amounts over time. Yeah. That's powerful. Like that yeah. speaks to that community of people wrapping their arms around each other. So we've done, you know, it's funny when we do workplace campaigns, like people do jeans days or different incentives. And um, that's great. But I think it's important to reinforce for people. One, if you've ever had a negative experience in, in being asked to give to United Way, I apologize. And that's never our hope to have it feel like that or to feel transactional. Because really mm-hmm. what I see giving to United Way as is, a, is an opportunity to be a part of that community um, and to give a small amount to become a part of a large amount yeah. that can then be invested and utilized to support folks living below the Alice threshold. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that $2 or that uh, you know, dollar a pay period, like that adds up. It adds up. And Come it is here locally. Yeah. And that's an important piece. Even with the merger, all local dollars, you know, mm-hmm. raised locally are staying local. So if you're giving in a company in Kalamazoo, it is being invested in Kalamazoo. Yeah. So those are important pieces to reinforce because we are able to do the amazing work we're doing because of the support of those tens of thousands of individual people in workplaces who say, like, yes, I want to be a part of a community yeah. that cares about Alice. Getting mm-hmm. the yes. Those those small actions equal yeah. big change. And that's a great, that's a great, like, um, analogy for our institutions and organizations and community. Like, mm-hmm. we could all do a little bit together. Right. Yep. And again, that, that positive compounding effect, that snowball effect. It happens quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. it can. Yeah. Or it can happen slow when you got, you know, folks in spaces. It's just like the off-ramping, as, <laughs> as the United Way says. You're going off-ramp. It's yeah. like, man, what are you doing here? Stay on the highway. Yeah. Stay on the highway for Alice. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So we, we do always end it on a, light, on a lighter theme. Um, so a six-word vision for the community. What's your six-word vision for the community? Did you give me advance notice of this? I didn't. Okay, guys, I'm like, yeah, I, I, this, this would have been something good to have forethought in. Yeah. Do, are you to, all going to answer this? I'm, I tend to model uh, a community without racism and poverty. That's my, my six-word thing. Okay. I feel like I'm kind of copying you, but it's okay. It's fine. A community with freedom of choice. Boom, there you go. All right. Let's do it. Sweet. Um, what are you currently reading? There you go. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm like, I love reading and I you don't never, I don't ever read as much as I want to. Um, I recently read, um, reread uh, a couple of Kurt Vonnegut books. Oh, I love man. Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, he is classic. Coca-Cola classic right there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's good. He's weird and unique and deep and funny. So yeah, yeah I like him. Yeah. yeah. Very engaging mm-hmm. for those reasons. And they're short. They're short books. Yeah. So if you haven't read Kurt Vonnegut, yeah, go check it out. What did you have for dinner last night? Pizza. Okay. That's a secret of my household. My husband cooks dinner almost every night 
Okay. He has been on your podcast, shout Eric out. Stewart. Shout out to Eric Stewart. Yes, he blazed he, the way. He's been on here before. He um, yes, he is the cook in our home, and so he 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 made some pizza, some broccoli. Oh, homemade pizza. Mm, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> store bought. Oh, okay. The busy you. people, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some store bought pizza, and broccoli, and some other stuff. So yeah, it was good. Okay. Yeah. Nice. This is always a divider, so we're gonna lots of judgment with this one. Yeah. So cake or pie. Uh, cake okay. with ice cream a la mode yeah well, <laughs> I just had a good cake this weekend you see what kind okay it was Costco you ever had a Costco cake don't sleep on it I, $25 for an enormous yeah. sheet cake I, I'm vegan so I don't do cake as much um, but interesting I again my trip to Detroit duck donuts I went there and they had some vegan vegan donuts i got a dozen how many did you eat on your own i don't know i know it's 12 <laughs> that came back to kalamazoo thursday and by saturday it was zero <laughs> so between and i shared one with mel yep so between myself mel and family yeah they didn't stand a chance they got crushed they didn't stand a chance are uh, they good are vegan donuts like what's the texture like those were good. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we went to Texas, they yeah. had voodoo donuts in yeah. Austin, Texas. And it they was it was uh and mind you, I had regular donuts. Too yeah. way too many. So these you know were the difference. Yeah, these yeah. were comparable. These were comparable. Great. Great. Because you can't use eggs or milk. like milk in the yeah. frosting or cream or Yeah. So they I mean they it's it's oil. I know you can use the oil. It, they got vegan products now, mm-hmm. which yeah, is another mm-hmm. vegan butter. Yeah, which they put stuff in there. So I don't know, but those were good. So that's your other plug, your other idea. We need a vegan donut shop. Yeah, in Kalamazoo. Yeah. All right. There we go. What's on your nightstand? Um, an empty Kleenex box that's been sitting there. <laughs> for way too long. <laughs> do you ever do that where you like run out of Kleenex and you just like leave the box there? Is that just me? No. Um, <laughs> I, re- I love my how wife, you shared that. My wife is recycle police. Oh, so I, I love to. Re- I will oh, recycle it. It's just, it just sits there for a while. And, yeah. I, and then I reach my hand in there disappointedly and then remember that it's empty. Um, a bunch of chargers. Like chargers for all my stuff. Lotion. That's it. The chargers right. can go in an empty box. I just yeah. my charges in the, we'll in the tight, tidy box. it up a little. Yeah, <laughs> pretty minimal. I'm pretty minimalist. I don't like a lot of clutter on stuff, so I usually have only like one or two things on the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the final one is like, what do you do to take care of yourself? Like, what's one thing that you do to take care of yourself? To show up for the work. You're clearly passionate about this work, and so and it's heavy. It's yeah. heavy stuff. So it's hard not to take it home. You got to take care of yourself. So what do you do to show up? I. I've started, I, I struggle with this. I think a lot of us do. Um, a lot of my life is work and then my kids and my, my yeah. family, my husband. Um, I have started collecting many, many house plants that I love to like look at and water and take care of and cultivate. Um, I started taking tennis lessons with my sister. Um, Sweet. And I have been, I, I take walks and do workout classes. Okay. So I work out at West Hills. Yeah. Which is a great, a great resource. Yeah. And I do that. Mm. Oh, yeah. Just try to keep my mind clear that way. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Have a beer every once in a while. That's been a, that's been a consistent theme, folks. Exercising mm-hmm. and walking. 
We yeah. have somebody. I think that's the most socially acceptable thing to say. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if someone asks you that question, it's like, yeah, just go take walks. Yeah. Not that I don't have social. I have socially unacceptable coping mechanisms, but it's just. It feels like a safe one. Yeah, yeah. that is. Like when in yeah. doubt, just go for a walk. Yeah, that's yeah. safe and and highly democratic. That's <laughs> the, for everybody. Yeah. yeah. If nothing else, yeah, you just can. walk outside. Yeah. yeah. If you're able to walk. Yes. Yeah. You're able, and if you're in a safe space, right, or you feel like that's safe to do. Yeah. 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 Because if it's not, you'll be running instead of walking. Yeah. So walk yeah, roll. You could roll too. That's true. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Alyssa yeah. Stewart. Uh, for sharing your time, sharing your passion, and um, and coming on our show, it's been it's been a great one. Thank you for having me. I love talking about uh, all this stuff and thinking about the real people right behind the numbers um, yeah. that I know we all care about. So thank you. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks. All right, episode twenty-two in the books. Thanks. Take care. Bye.